Amen. Well, we're uh, going to continue on in this series we've been in talking about illuminating the darkness. Um, I'll draw your attention to the artwork that's surrounding you in our sanctuary. This is our Advent art gallery that um, is supplied with art from people from our community. And so I encourage you to go around and check those out. They're all built around the theme of illuminating the darkness. Um, behind me, we also have some artwork by um, one of our artists in residence, uh, Emily Posey, and, and it is also around that theme of illuminating the darkness. That's what we're going to be talking about. Um, I introduced this theme last week, and so if you missed last week, you can go online um, and listen to it. We have podcasts. We also, on YouTube, Facebook, you can check it out there um, and get a little bit more of a picture of kind of what we're hoping to accomplish during Advent. I need to be transparent as I begin this message this morning. Talking about peace right now, in this world we're living in, seems a bit naive. When the angel and all the heavenly creatures appeared to the shepherds on the night of Jesus' birth, they sang these words, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. At Jesus' birth, the heavens were literally declaring peace on earth. While at that very moment, Mary and Joseph and all the other folks from Galilee and even in Bethlehem and Judea, all that area, they were not experiencing a whole lot of peace. Their lives were difficult. Living at that time was so precarious and their lives were often very short-lived. So for me, when I think about it, to proclaim peace in the midst of chaos and violence, it could seem a bit naive. The prophet Jeremiah wrote these words, they dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Yet, the story of God tells us that Jesus, God in flesh, came bringing peace. Jesus is believed to be the Prince of Peace that Isaiah prophesied about. Yet the tension remains. The news of Jesus' coming brought proclamations of peace, yet violence and suffering remain. Do y'all feel that tension? Today in Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born, Christmas celebrations have been canceled. No joke. In the place where Jesus was born, the place where they would probably celebrate the birth more than anywhere. All the celebrations have been canceled. Palestinian Christians in Bethlehem decided that they couldn't celebrate Christmas with lights and carols and trees when their Palestinian siblings in Gaza are under siege. The tension for them is almost unbearable. The birth of Christ brought peace, yet their people, even their children, are being destroyed. They ask, where is the peace. Munther Isaac, Palestinian pastor in Bethlehem, whom I've referenced before, um, set up a nativity at his church in Bethlehem in Palestine with the baby Jesus, not in your traditional nativity set, but among the rubble of war. I'll just leave that up there for a moment to reflect on that image. I continue to come back to Jesus' words towards the end of his earthly life. As he approached Jerusalem in his final days, it says, As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, 
He wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. Personally, I just, I cannot talk about peace without also lamenting the profound lack of peace in our world today. Humanity, we, we have really missed the mark in understanding what brings peace. I want to show you an image that I've shown before here that couldn't articulate better what I'm trying to say. This missile is named the Peacekeeper. It's from years ago. This peacekeeping missile had the capacity to carry uh, multiple nuclear warheads, could travel thousands of miles, had the ability to strike a target with incredible accuracy and decimate entire cities. This missile could destroy any enemy in its path. And people actually believed that this missile had the ability to keep the peace or to bring peace, to help our world be a more peaceful place. This type of peace is not the peace that the Bible is talking about. This is a peace that seeks security through domination and control and power over others. If we destroy our enemies, then no one will be able to hurt us, and we can be at peace at home. This mentality was prevalent all the way back in Jesus' time. Growing up as a Jew in Palestine, Jesus' family was living under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire was in charge, and the Jewish people were a marginalized group living there in their land. Rome is known throughout history for bringing a unique type of peace in the world. If you remember from your history classes, um, this was called the Pax Romana, which means the peace of Rome. Rome's vision of peace has endured to this day. It is a peace that I believe is without justice and a peace that is far cry from the peace that we find in our holy scriptures. This so-called peace of Rome was achieved through military conquest and control of other people. So what happened is through military operations, Rome would go out and subdue surrounding nations. And what that would do is that would help them have more peace at home and tranquility in their homes at the center of the empire. Even in their own empire, some people had it really good, but they actually would oppress many people in the margins of the empire. So the people in the powerful center of the empire could feel at peace and at rest. Destruction of enemies meant they could be free of threat and could rest easy. So those who were in the powerful center of Rome, many of them maybe felt peace. And much of the reason is because the violence and the poverty and struggles were pushed to the outside, to the surrounding places. Their peace was achieved through control and oppression of people at the margins. In the center, people were happy. Life was good. But they didn't necessarily realize maybe even how bad it was out there in places like Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Galilee. You know, one, I think, really neat thing about the Bible is that it was written from the perspective of the people kind of on the underside, the oppressed people, not the people who were doing the oppressing. We have a record in our Bible of what the peace of Rome meant to a poor Jewish family from the town of Nazareth. So I'm going to read a story. This actually took place after the birth of Jesus, but it's very much related to this idea of peace. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. 
And I'm, I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. This is some of the most tragic stuff in the Bible right here. This is a really painful story um, when you read it. And so, but, we, but we've got to face it if we're going to really think about and imagine what peace in this world could look like. So it says when they had gone, talking about the Magi, when the Magi had left the Holy Family, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. The child is baby Jesus that we're talking about. So he got up and he took the child and his mother Mary during the night and they left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So King Herod learned from the Magi, or he heard from the Magi about a king who was going to be born among the Jews. Now one thing to know about Herod is Herod saw himself as the king of the Jews. And so you can imagine as he's hearing stirrings of a new king being born among the Jewish people, it caused him to feel kind of insecure and afraid. Y'all know this, but fear is a very powerful motivator, um, and, and it can cause us to do things that maybe we wouldn't want to do. When people are afraid, we often can make very terrible decisions. An insecure, fearful person with a whole lot of power is a very dangerous individual. King Herod was one of those people, and history will tell you, he was a very dangerous person. Herod was so disturbed by the news of a potential contender to his throne that he ordered a preemptive strike. He ordered to murder all the boys under two years old in Bethlehem. It's a tragic story in our scriptures. Shortly after the Magi had left the Holy Family, they had gone to visit. Um, they had brought the frankincense, gold, and myrrh, all that. That, that happened a little bit after uh, the actual birth. They left, and then Joseph went to bed one night, and he had a dream. In the darkness of sleep, a light came and illuminated his darkness. He had a vivid dream that likely shook him deep down to his core. Imagine if you received a dream like this. An angel told him to get up, to take his family, and to get out of Bethlehem as fast as they could because their son's life was in danger. Imagine for you, parents, if you received a dream like that, what are you going to do? You're going to get up and you're going to get out of Bethlehem. I have friends who understand what Joseph and Mary are feeling. I have friends who actually understand what it's like to have to make a quick decision to leave behind everything in order to survive. One of my friends, uh, Philip, who used to work at Common Good years ago, he tells his story about when he was forced to leave the Congo. He was literally at school one day. Soldiers came into his community, and the students ran, and they never were able to go back. 
So the Holy Family packed up what they could carry, and they headed south with their newborn baby. In verse 13, we read the words of the angel. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Now, I want to point this out. Other translations use the word flee, flee to Egypt. The Greek word there is a word called fuego, and it means to seek safety by flight. Now, the English word refugee comes from this Greek word fuego. The holy family fled their home country because they had legitimate fear that their lives were in danger. They were, in the strictest sense of the term, refugees. They were forced to immigrate, uproot their family, and move to another country in order to survive. I saw this image online a few years ago, and it's come to be, become a kind of an icon in my life that I refer to occasionally. And, and I think this image of the Holy Family is powerful. This is supposed to be Mary and Joseph and Jesus reimagined for today's world. And it's probably more accurate than many of the other images that we find of the Holy Family looking at peace and serene. This image shows the Holy Family as immigrants seeking refuge in a new place. Jesus and his family were refugees seeking safety by flight. They lived in a world much like ours. Some people experienced peace while others did not. And this so-called peace was achieved through violence and destruction and control. Peace for some was often achieved at the expense of others. And I'm going to tell you, and we've talked about this many times, from my reading of the Bible, the Bible proclaims a much different kind of peace than that. That we have never really seen this kind of peace fully embraced or lived out in our world. The prophetic witness continued to relentlessly imagine something different, another world, to imagine that another world was indeed possible. And this peace that they imagined was clearly articulated and captured in the word Shalom. It's a Hebrew word that we've talked about many times over the years at our church. But shalom is a word that is translated peace in our Bibles, but it's a way bigger word than that. It means peace and justice and righteousness all in one word. It's really a word that means wholeness or completeness, everything working together for flourishing and health and wholeness. To have shalom means that you have a healthy and you have a whole society. And what that means is you have whole people. You have whole communities. Whole implying all. Shalom means that every single person has enough. That every single person is taken care of. And that no one is left in need. And this is the kind of peace that Jesus came proclaiming with his life and preaching as he became an adult. This is the kind of peace that Jesus is offering. If only we would be willing to follow in his way. When Jesus entered our world, the heavens opened declaring peace. Jesus brought a new way of being in this world that could actually, I still believe, can lead to flourishing and life for everybody. It's a peace that's shared by all. It's a peace that has room for every single person. Our world will try to continue to tell you that there's not enough for everybody. They will tell you that there's always going to be people who have awful lives of suffering just because that's the way it is. There's not enough to go around. I still believe that's a lie because God did not create a world of scarcity. God created a world of abundance. And, and I believe there's a famous quote that says there's enough for everybody's need, but not enough for everybody's greed. And that's the kind of like thing we have to continue to push back 
against. You know, I've been thinking uh, as I've read this story about the saints in Egypt, these people that we don't know anything about, who were willing to welcome in baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph as they traveled to this new country and needed refuge and a place to stay. They probably had no idea who they were actually welcoming into their communities. But I'm sure God was pleased when they took in the refugee family from Bethlehem. Their act of compassion and care for the Holy Family brought some light into the midst of a really dark situation. You know, our world today is not a whole lot different from their world um, in some ways. Because our world still has people like Herod, powerful, insecure, fearful leaders who make decisions that impact the lives of others in profound ways. And like those unnamed saints in Egypt who welcomed the Holy Family, we too can share God's peace with others and we can play our part in working towards a world of shalom. You know, one thing I think Christians sometimes are good at is showing empathy, and we need to do that. Empathy is this idea of feeling with other people. And, and I see a lot of this. We try to put ourselves in people's shoes. Many of us are trying to educate ourselves and understand other perspectives. We're trying to lean in and listen deeply and trying to understand. And this is important. But, but a lot of us stop there. I think what Jesus and the way of Christ is calling us is moving beyond empathy to compassion. And compassion is not just feeling with someone else. It's being willing to suffer with other people. And that's a whole other story. And that's a lot harder for us to do. Henry Nouwen says these words about compassion, and I just think they're beautiful. He says, let us not underestimate how hard it is to be compassionate. Compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to a place where they are weak and vulnerable and lonely and broken. But this is not our spontaneous response to suffering. What we desire most is to do away with suffering by fleeing from it or trying to find a quick cure for it. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, and to share in brokenness, fear and confusion and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those who are in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion into the condition of being human. Those who are not afraid can break through the paralyzing boundaries and witness the birth of a new fellowship, the fellowship of the broken. He says a lot there. Uh, I encourage you to maybe go back and reflect on that. But the candle that we lit today represents peace. And as I think of peace every year, I think of this biblical idea of peace and shalom. And then I'm also thinking of like the profound way we continue to get it wrong. And let this candle hopefully be an inspiration to us, a challenge for us to continue to walk the road of compassion. Biblical peace is the idea that everybody is taken care of. And if we can show the compassion that Henry Nouwen's talking about, if we can suffer with others, if we can take that downward path of Jesus and walk with people and sit with them in the hard things that they're facing and say that I'm going to help bear this burden, then I believe we can begin to see more shalom. And perhaps our imaginations that we continue to try to hold on to about peace can begin to become more and more a reality. Peace illuminates our darkness. Jesus brought the light of peace, 
And then we can carry the light of peace in our world as we have the courage to stand up and show true compassion to others. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.